Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So pleased to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop for a bit of a bonus episode. Of course, the month of October, full of frights and spooks and scares. But that is not all we trade in here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So while we try to focus our Monday and Thursday shows in October on the things that go bump in the night, there are other curiosities to peruse here in the shop and one we have special for you today on this bonus episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. You take a look at this, it may look like a ordinary gold nondescript ring, but this is no ordinary ring. For if you put it upon your finger, you'll find it strange that you should suffer such fear and doubt for such a small thing. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Amazon Prime series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power has been a much-anticipated much heralded and a much maligned series for Amazon Prime. You know, everybody, once we heard we were getting a new adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's masterpiece and masterfully crafted world of Middle-earth, everyone uh, was so excited. And then once we got closer and we started seeing images and we started finding out cast lists and when we started finding out story and plot lines, uh, that's kind of when the divisiveness started towards this series. And you know, if you look online, if you look at the comment section of any uh, social media account talking about this series, uh, you're going to find people that think this is the greatest thing ever to be put on a streaming service. And then you'll find other people on the other side saying this is the worst case of hot garbage that was ever created for entertainment purposes. I don't think it's either one of those. And I don't even think it's somewhere in the middle, although it does lie within that gray area in the middle. I think it has its faults, it has its issues, but I also think it has some things that has it has done right. So we're going to talk about this series. I'm going to try not to get too involved in the beat by beat, episode by episode, here's what happened. I think we're going to focus more on the characters and what they're doing. And, and there are so many characters in this that uh, we're not even going to touch on every character, uh, not by not by a long shot. Uh, I will, you know, talk a little bit about uh, some of the main characters in each of the big storylines. But this is such a vast undertaking for the creators of this series and for Amazon Prime and and for the actors in general that uh, you know for them to take this on was a, a monumental task and to even try and talk about it to where you really hit on every character and every plot point would be a monumental task that is just uh, far greater than we really have time. You know, if I could dedicate 
uh, a few episodes to talking about this this series. I you know, I might be able to do it justice in the the scope and the grandeur of it all. But this I really want to keep as a, a brief overview of my thoughts of what happened on the screen, and then kind of talk about my thoughts of whether this worked or whether this didn't work as a series and as a Tolkien adaptation. So I'm going to try not to be too terribly spoilery. Uh, we are going to get into some spoilers because there aren't a lot of big spoilery reveals throughout the bulk of this series, but there are two huge <laughs> spoilery uh, reveals in the eighth and final episode, which I do want to talk about kind of what it means for the future as they as they go on and uh, I believe they're working on season two right now as we speak. So we're going to talk about this, like I said, try not to be too spoilery, but the Rings of Power focuses mainly on Galadriel, played by Morvid Clark. Of course, if you, you're not familiar with her, uh, check out Saint Maud. Just a disturbingly uh, haunting film that uh, that she really was spectacular in. And, and when I found out she was playing Galadriel, one, I thought it was an interesting choice uh, given her work in Saint Maud. But I, I, I like her as this character because uh, Galadriel is probably one of the more divisive of things about Rings of Power. People are either either love the character and love the portrayal or they're upset at the portrayal of Galadriel because in this Galadriel is a warrior and we're in the Lord of the Rings, at least the Lord of the Rings trilogy that we're, we're so used to. She's more of a leader and a diplomat. And even in the source material, at this time in the game, she is more of a diplomat. She's married to Celeborn, who is not in this. And, and again, another thing that we'll, we'll talk about. But she's more of a diplomat and more of a, a leader in the elves and not as much of a warrior. Although Tolkien does talk about Galadriel throughout his works about her being one of the fiercest of elves. So uh, to me, it's like this, you know, you can't be considered fierce without having a warrior spirit, I don't think. At least that's kind of how I interpret that. So it, it's not a far stretch and it's not a far cry to look at Galadriel as a warrior. And in this stage of the game, yeah, is it going to be more interesting to portray her as the warrior Galadriel, the fiercest of elves? Or is it going to be more interesting to have her roaming Middle-earth as a diplomat? Well, of course, it's going to be more interesting for a viewer, especially the viewer that's not as versed in Tolkien. It's going to be more interesting to portray Galadriel as the warrior elf. And so I, I that's a change that I don't 100% not like. I understand it. And like I said, it's it's going to be more appealing to the average viewer to see her as this warrior. And of course, I, I know there's a lot of people that are upset because this adaptation is quote-unquote woke. Uh, you know, that uh, I'm as anti-woke as anybody. But when it starts to become a thing where anything that shows strong female leads and anything that shows representation is woke. Well, that's bullshit. And, and you know it. God damn it. That, you know, stop pretending like you're championing the anti-woke cause when all it really is is you're pissed off that they have uh, people of color and you're pissed off that they have uh, strong female leads instead of uh, uh, a dude running around swinging his dick like a hammer. 
Now, don't get me wrong. That's not to say that there aren't examples of wokeness and woke agendas and all that nonsense out there. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But like I said, when when something being woke is an excuse to, to shit on a work that I think is actually quite appealing, uh, just because you don't like what you see on the screen or who you see portraying what you see on the screen, that's what I have a problem with. So again, like I said, I'm as unwoke as anybody out there, but I never looked at this as being a a woke adaptation of Tolkien. Is it a little more updated for today's viewing audience and today's uh, you know diverse fan base? Certainly it is, but I don't look at that as a, a bad thing. Did it have a strong female lead? Yes. Did it have representation? Yes. And, and we'll kind of get into some of those issues. Well, hell, uh, I've already I've already opened the floodgate. Let's talk about it right now. One of the big problems a lot of people have with this is that they have, I think it just boils down to, they have a lot of people of color in a world that has generally been represented by just white people. You know, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings was uh, a lot of white characters, if not all white characters, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they may have a, had a, a couple or a few uh, people of color in that, maybe extras and things of that nature. But for the most part, Tolkien wrote this as an Anglo. This is, this is written as a mythology for Britain. And he drew from a lot of the Scandinavian culture for Rohan. Uh, he wrote for an area of Europe that was predominantly white back when he was, you know, when he was young and writing this. But the thing about Tolkien is Tolkien, when he's describing characters, a lot of times is very detailed about some aspects of them, but he's also very vague about some aspects of certain characters. So just because he didn't write that there was a black elf doesn't mean that there wasn't a black elf in in Middle Earth. And I think that's one of the things a lot of people I, I know specifically were bitching about the fact that there was a black elf. The Arondir character played by Ishmael Cruz Cordova. And like I said, just because Tolkien didn't specifically say here is a black elf doesn't mean there wasn't uh, elves of varying colors. But uh, to me, elves, you know, they had different colors of hair. Uh, they weren't all blonde like Galadriel. So if if elves can have varying colors of hair, uh, why is it such a stretch that they can't have varying colors of skin as well? So to me, the character of Irondir was not a, that wasn't a problem for me. And I, I didn't understand it. It actually was kind of annoying to see how many people got so upset over that. And it, it pissed me off as well. Uh, and should piss everybody off as well. The people that uh, say horrible racist things to an actor just because he was chosen to do a role. You know, he's a, he's a guy like you and me. He's just out there doing what he does, doing his craft, doing what he is skilled to do, and just trying to make a living, just trying to feed his family. And and to fucking sit there and, and hurl racist insults at him because he was... He was chosen by the casting director and the showrunners and the directors to play this character. It's fucking insane. I, I can't get my head around that. And the real kicker is for all these people out there, and, and I don't think it is the vast majority of fans of Tolkien. I don't think it's the vast majority of fans of of Lord of the Rings. I, I honestly think it is a 
loudly vocal minority that has these feelings about not wanting people of color in in their Tolkien, in their Lord of the Rings, in their Middle Earth world. Uh, I think it's a, a small but very vocal minority that doesn't like seeing strong female leads or doesn't like seeing Galadriel be in the focus, doesn't like seeing her be in the world. I, Warrior, I think it is a, a small vocal minority that says and hurls all these insults. But but the kicker is, for these people that are insulting this Arondir character, I thought Ishmael Cruz Cordova uh played him quite well. I, I really like this character and interested to see where this character goes because of the job he did with it. That aside, uh, I you know, I, I understand what they did here. And I think a lot of people were upset because as well because they invented a lot of characters. And if you notice, uh, almost all of the people of color are playing characters that were invented for the show. And I think, I, I, I don't know, but I imagine probably the showrunners did that on purpose because if you uh, take characters that are already established in Tolkien as being white, uh, you're going to get accused of race swapping. And I think they they were looking at it as well. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna expand this world that Tolkien wrote and bring in other characters that maybe he didn't write about, but but a lot of them felt really true to the setting, to the surrounding, to Middle Earth. And so they invented a lot of characters, they made up a lot of characters, and they cast a lot of people of color in them. Uh, because I, as I've said before, representation is important, uh, especially in genre like horror, fantasy, and science fiction. I, I talked about this when I when I talked about the Raising Dion series about how how tough it must be or must have been. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I read comics and I saw people that looked like me. Peter Parker was a dorky kid. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think myself dorky at the time, but I look back and yeah, I was pretty dorky. Uh, you know, Bruce Wayne was a dark haired, brooding guy. Uh, I felt dark and brooding as well. I, I saw people that I could relate to because, you know, they looked like they could be me. And, and for somebody uh, of color, uh, a young black man or a young black girl or a young Hispanic or whoever, whatever race, uh, to, to read comics, you know, back like when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s uh, and to not see that. I mean, that was about the time when you started seeing more uh, people of color and, and heroes, superheroes of color in, in comics, but there weren't a ton. And it, I can't imagine how hard that was to, to love comics and to love superheroes and to love fantasy and horror and never see yourself represented. So I think representation is important, you know, for everyone to be able to see themselves as a hero in movies and in TV and in comics. I think that's important. So, you know, the fact that they made up a bunch of characters and were bold enough to cast people of color, I think was important. And they did it in a respectful enough tone to Tolkien that they didn't change any of the characters that he had already established. Uh, I think they they really balanced themselves on a tightrope line uh, quite well in that regard. And I know there's some people that are still going to be pissed off about that. And, and that's their hang up. But, but, I, but I quite enjoyed it because there were a lot of people added to the cast the the Lenny Henrys uh the Ishmael Cruz uh, Cordovas the Sofia Nonvetis uh, of this cast that just did a spectacular job and and wouldn't have been in this if if they hadn't made up some of these characters that gave them the opportunity to hire people of color uh, for this series so 
That's all I'm going to say about that. You can bitch about the fact that they changed the story. They changed Tolkien's story. Uh, but don't, uh, you know, it's it's icky to hear people bitching that there are people of color in this. And they say that like it's a bad thing. That that makes me feel uncomfortable. That makes me feel icky. But back to these characters. Morven Clark as Gladriel. Uh, I, I did enjoy her performance as Gladriel, even though it wasn't uh, a true-to-the-source material portrayal of Galadriel at this time in Middle-earth. Like I said, she would have been more of a, a diplomat, uh, you know, traveling around with Celeborn. But but I liked War Galadriel. I liked seeing her. I think it is... Uh, I think it is accurate to uh, the type of elf that Galadriel was. You know, I've used this in in other movie, you know, discussions about the Captain Ahab, uh, you know, always searching for the white whale. She kind of has that feel about her. She is obsessed with Sauron and finding Sauron because she believes he's still around after the War of Wrath. And Sauron is her white whale. And she, she becomes obsessed with that to the point where, like, nothing else matters. And she is hell-bent on revenge as she tries to find Sauron to the point where they try to send her away to the Undying Lands. And she jumps ship and tries to make her way back to Middle-earth. That's where she runs into Halbrand, where she ends up in Numenor. And then eventually ends up, you know, in the Southlands, which becomes Mordor. Yeah, spoiler alert there. Sorry about that but if you looked at any of the maps you know damn well that eventually becomes Mordor uh this shouldn't be that big of a spoiler but some of the things I really enjoyed about Morvid Clark is uh the relationship she has with some of these characters the friendship she has with Elrond who we'll talk about here in a little bit I like her relationship with him it's a very close friendly relationship you know these two elves that have been around for thousands of years you know their relationship is close and of course in Tolkien I don't know how they're going to play that out uh, but you know in Tolkien uh, Elrond marries uh, Galadriel's daughter and Galadriel's daughter and Elrond have Arwen who we uh, we all know from uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings or or the books for God's sake but to see their relationship together, to see them uh, share dialogue scenes, there's just a there's a chemistry and there's a warmth of knowing somebody for as long as an elf would know, uh, elves would know one another. That that is very uh, it's nice, it's it's touching to watch, uh, to watch her in her scenes with Halbrand. It was very much uh, there's a lot of sexual tension almost. I don't want to say there is sexual tension, but it almost felt like that. There's a distrust, but an attraction to one another. And she finds out who he is or who she thinks he is and is is trying to get him involved, get him in the fight. They're always butting heads, but coming together. And, and they almost tease later on in the series that there's almost a feeling they have uh, for one another when they're fighting alongside each other. So they, they really kind of tease a potential relationship there, which uh, kind of kind of annoyed me because one of the things I really hated about this was that uh, Celeborn is not in this and Celeborn especially at this time he and Galadriel would have been married they would have been a couple going around Middle Earth uh, 
being diplomats and what have you. And they have no Celeborn in this. I remember leading up to the release of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, them talking about the fact that Celeborn was dead in this. And I was like, oh, that can't be. That can't be. That that screws up Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And then we finally get the scene where Galadriel is talking to, I believe, Halbrand about, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's somebody else, but she's talking about her husband, Celeborn, who uh, just uh, eventually he went off to war and never came back. And she thinks is dead. And, and when that scene happened, I started fidgeting on the couch and I was getting all fired up. And my wife is wondering, what the hell is the matter with you? And then when we talked about it, I said, see, that's the, that's the kind of shit that pisses me off about that. They're changing Tolkien's source material. You know, Celeborn should be alive during this. Why did they have to make him dead? Uh, and then she's like, well, he's probably not dead. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, so I, I have a feeling Celeborn is not dead. I, I believe they're Jon Snowing this whole thing where the showrunners and Kit Harington and everybody that you asked on Game of Thrones after Jon Snow was stabbed to death at the wall, uh, everyone was like, oh, he's dead. He's not coming back next season. He's dead. And then lo and behold, he came back next season was alive again. So I, I really think Celeborn is alive. I think, you know, they, they said, unless, unless you see a body, nobody's dead. So I think he's just gone missing. I think Galadriel has a, uh, reunites with him and, and maybe they have a daughter that just, we haven't seen yet that she's somewhere floating around who knows. But at any rate, uh, I, I, my wife talked me off that ledge of diving into rage <laughs> over the fact that I thought they had killed off Celeborn before he shows up in Lord of the Rings. So I'm pretty sure that's how it's going to go. And I hope I'm not disappointed by that because like I said, you screw up Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And I know this is not has nothing to do with Peter Jackson, but you got to keep some continuity in the story. I mean, Jesus, they use the, the same creature design for the Balrog in this as Peter Jackson used in his Lord of the Rings. So there's obviously some create connectivity between the two. And when you kill off a character that's alive thousands of years later, that creates some continuity issues. So I, I think as much as I've been afraid that they were going to be very cavalier with, you know, we're going to do it this way. Uh, I do think that they are paying a little more respect to the story and to the source material than a lot of people have given him credit for in regards to things like Celeborn being alive or dead. Now, one of the things about Galadriel that I, I've heard people complain about, I was, you know, trying to to watch some videos because there are there are Tolkien experts out there that know much more than I do. You know, of course, I read The Hobbit. I read Lord of the Rings, read the appendices. Uh, I never read the Silmarillion, but I've, you know, I've tried to over the years, I've, I've researched Tolkien's works and, and backstories and things like that. But, but I've only scratched the surface of what other people have done. So I try to go online and find some YouTube videos where, where people that know more than I kind of explain uh, what is and what should be uh, in regards to the story and in regards to what's going on with this adaptation of it. And I've seen some people complaining that Galadriel is too proud. Uh, one guy in particular, I, I watched his video and he's upset because she's too proud and she just does things and doesn't think 
of anybody else's consequences. And, and I think he's right in that. But I also think that you have to look bigger picture. Galadriel that we see in Lord of the Rings, which is thousands of years later, is not the Galadriel we're going to see thousands of years prior. That doesn't leave any room for character development and a character arc. Uh, I think Galadriel that we know in, in Rings of Power is younger, hot-headed. Like I said, she's got that ca Captain Ahab syndrome. She is looking for the white whale, and gods be damned, she is going to do whatever she can to find Sauron and, and destroy him. And I think it's going to be a situation where we see this character grow over however many seasons they do this to where she becomes the diplomat and the regal uh, ruler of Lothlorien and more even-tempered. And well, even even that Gladro had a little a little something spicy in her when when she you know is tempted by Frodo to take the ring of power she says that instead of having a dark lord you'd have a queen as beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night stronger than the foundations of the earth all shall love me in despair I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember the whole speech but which I, I like how they kind of alluded to those Tolkien lines in this was quite fun but I think you know the the Gladriel we see in Lord of the Rings I think we'll eventually get that Galadriel. I just think there's going to be some character development to get her from here to there. And I spoke about him earlier, uh, Elrond. I, I think it's fun to watch a younger version of Elrond, played by uh, Robert Jeremiah. Uh, he, of course, was the young Ned Stark Game of Thrones uh, in those later seasons at the, the Tower when they do the big Jon Snow, uh, Aegon Targaryen reveal. Uh, it was cool to see him show up in something else. I think he plays a good younger version of Elrond. The character is tasked with helping the, the elven race uh, find a way to uh, so their light doesn't diminish and leads him to the uh, the dwarves and a lot of interactions with uh, Durin, which uh, were, were quite fun. I, I like the guy that plays Elrond. His story wasn't very dynamic in like action set pieces and stuff like that, but he carried a lot of dialogue weight with his scenes, uh, with him and Celebrimbor, with him and Gil-galad, him and and Galadriel, him and Durin and his wife Disa, which <laughs> I'll get to those two characters and actors in a second. But uh, I think uh, Robert Jeremiah did a fantastic job with the the dialogue that he had to endure through this because he almost all of his scenes were dialogue scenes and and it was it was good he didn't do it in a very exposition type way it all felt very natural and and like i said the the weight of all that dialogue could have crushed this character but but i think he handled it really well and i really like him as elrond i can't wait to see uh where this character goes in the future from the character we see here to the leader of rivendell now two characters and two actors i really loved was Owain and Arthur as Durin the Fourth. Uh, he's the prince of the city of Khazad-dûm. Of course, uh, we we know that the mines of Moria, and I believe that's Durin's tomb. That uh, they have the big big battle scene and the shaft of light coming down on the tomb uh, when they when they enter enter the that dwarven city and uh, they fight the orcs and the the cave troll in lord of the rings fellowship of the ring i should say but it's cool to meet this character his wife disa played by sophia nonvetti uh she 
did a fantastic job. And another character that uh, I believe the Disa character is is created for the show, uh, but they cast uh, Sofia Nonvetti, uh, a woman of color, and she just does a, a knockout job with this character. She embodies what I imagine a a dwarven woman to be because we've never really seen a dwarven woman in the lord of the rings or the hobbit i don't know how much tolkien actually wrote about dwarven women other than the fact that there's the joke made in i believe two towers or somewhere about dwarven women having beards and and that's the one thing i think people were trying to find a reason to be upset about this character and and I think a lot of people were, were probably upset that they made her a woman of color. But, you know, you can't say that out loud. So they were finding other reasons to be upset. Oh, well, she doesn't have a beard. How can she be a dwarven woman if she doesn't have a beard? But, you know, who, who wants to see a bunch of bearded dwarven women on TV? Let's be quite honest. Uh, <laughs> no, nobody wants to see that. And and if they did a, a dwarven woman with a big bushy dwarven woman beard, uh, they would have bitched about that. So I, I think there are just some people that are just looking to be uh, uh, upset and offended by things. And with this character, if they weren't going to allow themselves to be upset about one thing, they were going to allow themselves to be upset about another thing. But like I said, I loved Sophia Nonvedi. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I love her and uh, Owen Arthur's chemistry. Those two felt like an old married dwarven couple. And she felt very dwarven and that she she didn't take any of his shit and any of his nonsense and that felt like a very dwarven thing is not you know kind of no nonsense not going to put up with your bullshit sort of uh sort of characteristic that uh that I quite enjoyed that watching the two of them in scenes together was quite fun and Elrond's friendship with Durin the fourth uh, was quite uh, touching there was a lot of touching scenes where uh, there's a lot of strife between them to begin with and then they come together uh, once again as friends and there's just some really touching scenes about Durin just trying to help his friend and his father not allowing him to do that that those were some fun scenes that I quite enjoyed. There are another group of characters we get introduced to, the Harfoot, which is a, an ancient, distant relative of the Hobbit. They're more nomadic and they a little more primitive. And I, I thought, you know, those scenes uh, with the Harfoot probably were the scenes that kind of drug out and slowed the pace of this series down a little bit but you really did like the characters nori is the main she's kind of like the the frodo surrogate poppy is the sam surrogate although uh unlike uh, the lord of the rings uh they don't uh, go off on an adventure together at least not yet the satic borough characters is really good uh, played by lenny henry who, who does a fantastic such a fantastic actor uh he was quite uh interesting to watch and and, and see his uh, story, which he didn't have much of a 
story arc, but he had an interesting destination for his story, so to speak, that I wasn't quite sure I would see. That I don't know if I saw that coming. The thing that really was interesting about the Harfoot storyline is the fact that they uh, were introduced to the stranger. This meteor falls from the sky, and Nori the Harfoot uh, finds this man inside this inside the the crater of this meteor that hits the earth the middle earth and who is this stranger at, at first he doesn't speak nori's language then she tries to teach him a few things but he can't really remember things or explain things uh at, at some points we see he has some powers very reminiscent of of some of the wizards that we've seen in middle earth at least in the third age but really all of that, you're introduced to it right away and then they drag that storyline out until the very last episode when you finally get some big reveals with this character, which we'll talk about in the more spoiler section. But if of any of the storylines, that is probably the one for me that just drug out a little longer than it needed to be because, well, no, I take that back, a lot longer than it needed to be because actually it was, you know, every episode I kept waiting, oh, are they going to give us some hint as to who this is i mean i had my speculation and one of the things i thought it might be is proving to be probably correct the the problem of this is is that in the the source material wizards don't show up in middle earth until much later in the timeline like after the rings of power have been created i don't know maybe a thousand years later I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is there, but I know wizards shouldn't be showing up in in Middle Earth in this second age at this juncture. So I know there's a lot of people probably going to be upset about that, probably are upset about that. To me, when I find out that something isn't accurate to the source material, it bugs me. But in the grand scheme of things, when they make the reveal as to who this stranger probably is, it was exciting. It kind of gave me chills and I quite enjoyed it. So there are sins against the source material that you can forgive and there are sins against the source material that you can't forgive. This is a sin I can forgive because it really was a fun moment once they finally made that to reveal as to who the stranger is or probably is, I should say. Just a couple more characters that we're going to talk about. And uh, I did want to mention uh, Daniel Wayman. I really thought he did a good job as the the stranger uh, for her not really having much uh, dialogue in the way of exposition or, or being able to tell who he is. Just the expressions on his face and his interaction with the uh, actress who plays Nori, Markella Cavanaugh. Uh, they, they did a good job together, which is probably funny because I'm sure, you know, they didn't really share much actual screen time together. I mean, they were on the screen together, but when they're, you know, shrinking down the hobbits uh for scale uh i'm sure a lot of that was green screen and i don't know if the two actors got to act off each other all that much uh i mean this day and age they probably had her off screen or him off screen so they they probably were acting to each other but uh, but i thought they did a really good job it was a really uh a, a cute storyline seeing these two characters kind of interact and her teaching him things and trying to teach him the common tongue and uh teaching him to eat snails which was disgusting but but uh, there was a lot of a lot of cute scenes a lot of fun and funny scenes with these characters but like i said they really didn't 
didn't go anywhere until that last episode. A couple of the characters that I loved seeing, it was very cool to see them show up uh, when Galadriel gets to Numenor with Halbrand. Uh, we're introduced to Elendil and Isildur. Of course, you know them in the prologue to the Fellowship of the Ring when uh, the, doing the Galadriel voiceover and she's talking about the War of the Last Alliance. We see Elendil uh, leading the, the armies of Gondor and we see him killed by Sauron and then we see Azildor picking up his broken sword and, and cutting the ring off of, of Sauron's finger and to see younger versions of these characters in this and to see that they're major players in this as they as they would be as, as you're leading uh, to the creation of the rings of power and the one ring and the war that will ensue after that uh, you know these these are main players in that story so it was fun to watch them to see uh, younger versions of them to see the relationship between the two characters a father and a son that's sometimes a little contentious and ends kind of on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Although if you know Lord of the Rings, you know that Isildur is not dead. So that, that kind of was like a, a moot point as far as a cliffhanger goes. But I'm sure for anybody who's not very familiar with Lord of the Rings, it, it, it might be a, uh, oh, I wonder if he's still alive. But I really did enjoy the actors who played these younger versions of uh, Elendil and Isildur. Lloyd Owen plays Elendil and Maxim Baldry plays Isildur. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm really interested to see the path that these two characters go on because you imagine they're the ones that are going to establish the uh, nation of Gondor and Minas Tirith and Osgiliath and, and the, the Gondor nation. So it'll be fun to see uh, these characters develop and see that all unfold, which you, I imagine we'll see uh, played out on this, as well as the fall of Numenor. Uh, we're introduced to uh, Muriel, the queen regent of Numenor, and her father, the king, who uh, is in ill health. That, that was all an interesting storyline. I'm not sure how they're going to play the fall of Numenor because it plays out in a certain way in these stories where the bad Numenorians, if you will, they kind of turn on the gods and the Valar and they try to invade the Undying Land to, to become immortal. And then the, the good Numenorians go off to Middle-earth to form the nation of Gondor. And it's when, you know, Numenor invades the Undying Lands that the the one god gives Numenor the Atlantis treatment and pulls it into the sea. We are going to see that play out. I just don't know how accurate to the uh, source material it's going to be. It's it's kind of up in the air right now. I don't And I don't know exactly when we're going to see that play out. I don't know as if we're going to see it in the second season. I have to imagine the downfall of Numenor is... That seems like a big way to end a season, a big climax for a season. So I don't know if it'll be next season or maybe season three, but it'll be interesting to see all of that play out. Uh, it will be a spectacle, I imagine, uh, if they do the CG right. And then the one character I've kind of saved until last. He has a lot of uh, involvement with... Uh, Muriel and the Numenorians and Galadriel. He saves Galadriel after she jumps off the ship uh, before she reaches the Undying Lands is Halibrand. He claims to be the 
lost king of the Southlands, played by Charlie Vickers. He does a really good job. He really cuts a, a good leading man figure. I mean, he seems very, very much like an Aragorn, a Viggo Mortensen type of character. And you think, oh, this is a character they made up for the show. And he's going to be the, uh, he's going to be the rugged, uh, reluctant king. And he's going to have a romantic relationship with Galadriel and all the things that are very, not the source material. And I was like, okay, you know, I've seen Aragorn before. I don't need to see this version of him, much like the Arondir and Bronwyn relationship. It's very much akin to other elf human relationships that we've read about or seen, uh, Baron and Luthien, uh, Aragorn and Arwen. We've seen that before. I really didn't need to see it in this, although I, I didn't mind it. Don't get me wrong, uh, because I like the Arondir character. The Bronwyn character is interesting enough. Their quote-unquote forbidden relationship, you know, that's always interesting to watch because of the the you know pitfalls of that sort of situation. And I think it plays into a bigger stigma of relationships between race. Uh, I, I think it, it's, a, it's a commentary on that as well. So that, that's all kind of interesting. But there are some aspects of this show that felt very much like recycled material. Now we find out in this final episode that uh, the Halbrand character is not exactly what you think he is. And it really wasn't till a particular scene in that last episode that I'm like, oh shit, that's, that's this character. Uh, it's a different name, but that is this character. And we'll talk about it in the spoilery section. But uh, all in all, uh, I'm kind of wrapping down the unspoilery section. All in all, I, I really like the cast. I really like the portrayal of a lot of these characters. Were they exactly the way Tolkien wrote them? Maybe, maybe not. But Tolkien was very vague about character descriptions at, at times. You know, he'll tell you somebody wore a yellow tunic, but it won't tell you uh, you know what their face looked like or what color of hair they had or they'll tell you uh, they had uh, this color of hair but they won't tell you much else about their personage so to sit there and say well this isn't how Tolkien wrote these characters well some of these characters there weren't a lot written about uh, some of these characters are made up but they felt very uh, they felt very much a part of Tolkien's world, so I can't complain about that. Uh, so I, I, for one, I thought the casting was really good. I thought the uh, characters were interesting enough. Most of the storylines moved at a pretty good clip. I've seen some people complaining that things happened and it all didn't mean anything until they got to the last episode and then they rushed through that. Well, I, I didn't feel that. Um, I, I quite enjoyed every episode. I was interested in what was coming next. What's going to happen next in this story? And that's, to me, that's a sign of a good story. When I'm, when I'm invested enough that I'm like, Ooh, where's, where's this next episode going to go? Uh, I think you've done some pretty good storytelling. You take a show like house of the dragon, which, uh, which I'm, my wife and I are currently watching and we'll, we'll do, uh, a breakdown of that, a review of that. Once we get to that final episode, which may be, by the time this airs, it may have been this past Sunday, maybe next Sunday. I'm not quite sure uh, where we're at on that. But Jesus, for the for the first few episodes, it might as well have been called the House of Small Council Meetings. Uh, the first few episodes of House of the Dragon were some of the most boring episodes out there because it was just a bunch of like procedural 
uh, meetings uh, between a king and his small council. And I was bored to tears watching that. I never felt bored watching Rings of Power because the the world that they show us, uh, the world of, of Tolkien's Middle Earth was lush and interesting. The costuming, I thought, was pretty good. I, I don't know as if they uh, went to as great a length as Peter Jackson and the Weta Workshop people in designing armor and clothes with just all the most minute attention to detail. I don't know as if they went that far, but they came close to that. I, I thought the, the costuming was really interesting. It felt lived in. It felt like this was a part of a long heritage of of armors and and cloaks and designs that uh, had a lot of history behind it. Uh, maybe not as much as Peter Jackson's Middle Earth, but there again, that is thousands of years in the future. So uh, you know, it's it's reason to there's reason to believe that it it wouldn't be quite as lush uh, because you know it's it's always evolving and would evolve into something more ornate i would imagine but but i did enjoy the costumes i enjoyed the sets uh the special effects i thought were pretty good uh there were some that weren't great but for the most part the green screens and the uh the special effects the cg was was all fairly good it wasn't there again uh there were some things and like peter jackson's lord of the rings was almost 20 years ago that felt better than than what they did in this but you know you got you're talking big budget movie budget as opposed to big budget tv series budget so you know i'm sure there's some budgetary disparities uh, involved that maybe they don't have the money to spend on cg like like peter jackson had and of course a lot of that cg they were inventing at the time but I still enjoyed it. It's still there wasn't any CG that was so bad it took me out of the out of the scene or out of the the show altogether. Uh, I thought the CG was pretty good, and I thought the story was in pretty good. I, I I thought it was engaging enough. Now, is it exactly the way Tolkien wrote the events of this? No, but you know, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings wasn't. You know, he was probably a little more faithful to Tolkien's original work, the source material, than the Amazon Prime people were to Rings of Power. Jackson, I think, paid more attention to, to staying truer to uh, Tolkien. But I think there were definitely some things that Peter Jackson did, omitting characters, combining characters, tinkering with timelines as to when this happened and when that happened in in the time of these, you know, different books, especially with the two towers, you know, intermingling things where it's told in two separate perspectives. Uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of things Peter Jackson tinkered with and didn't do exactly as Tolkien did it. And maybe they're a little more egregious in that with Rings of Power, but for the most part, a lot of the story that Tolkien wrote is there. And sometimes with Tolkien's work, you can't go word for word because, you know, like I said, do I want to see Galadriel just walking around being this this elven diplomat during the events of this? Or do I want to see her as a warrior? It's more interesting on the screen and visually to see her as a warrior. So I, I can look past some of the sins against Tolkien's original source material. Uh, there's some things I can look past. Uh, the things I can't look past, the Celeborn thing, uh, I think will 
work itself out in the end. Some of the other things, I'm like, okay, the, the timeline's a little off, but I, I can look past them speeding up the timeline in which wizards appear in, in Middle-earth. As long as the show is engaging and interesting and, and fun to watch, and as long as I still feel like I'm in Middle-earth, as long as I still feel like I'm in the world that Tolkien created, then I, I can't complain too much. So, you know, for all the, the Tolkien quote-unquote scholars out there who, you know, they, they've read all the books and they've looked up a bunch of shit on Wikipedia and they're obviously Tolkien experts, sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. Jesus Christ, we're living in an age where we can actually get some sort of a Tolkien adaptation. Uh, we're at an age where digitally we can do effects well enough to represent what Tolkien put on the page. Just, just sit back and enjoy the show. And if you don't like how it was done, write your own fucking movie. So all in all, I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, there are some sins against Tolkien's source material. Uh, some some I, I, I don't really care for. Some I can I can overlook. But all in all, the show was interesting and fun to watch. And, you know, that's all I can ask for. And it's, it's true enough to the original source material, true enough to what happens and how things proceed. It's, it's close enough that, that I feel like I'm watching a Tolkien adaptation and I'm enjoying it. And I look forward to season two which I believe they are producing filming right now, although I don't think we're going to see season two until 2024, which that seems like a long time. <laughs> I'm hoping they could speed up that timeline. But if you haven't watched Rings of Power, check it out. I think you're going to enjoy it if you're a, if you're a Tolkien fan. Uh, even if you're, definitely if you're a casual Tolkien fan, you're going to like it. Even if you're a more hardcore Tolkien fan, I think if you just... Just relax and enjoy seeing some of these characters on the screen and seeing some of these stories play out on the screen. Uh, the the making of the the Elven Rings is featured in this, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to see more as next season comes about. Just just enjoy what you're getting to watch and stop nitpicking it so goddamn much. So that's the unspoilery section. Now we're going to get into some spoils because there are two really huge. Uh, reveals in this that uh, one of them I kind of saw coming the other I didn't see coming until the very last second and I, I don't know what which one and I don't know which one I want to talk about first I think we're going to talk about the stranger first because there was a lot of speculation everybody figured this was a wizard and in episode eight we finally get, uh, there's these three kind of weird cultish women dressed in white looking for the wizard or looking for the stranger, I should say. Uh, they come across him and they think he's Sauron. And you're like, oh no, this, this can't be Sauron. He's, he's Nori's friend. He, he can't be, he can't be Sauron. And, and then the, this, this kind of battle ensues and, we find out they call him Ishtar or Ishtari, which is, I can't remember if that's Elvin or some language, but it means it's what we would call wizard in the common tongue. 
So I'm like, oh, that's cool. He is a wizard. I know it's a little a little soon for wizards to be in Middle-earth, but that's, that's badass. Uh, we see him get to use his power. His memory starts to come back. He's talking to Nori, and he's, he's making his way to uh, Rune, which is uh, the place that he, he knows this consolation that, that can only be seen in, in Rune. That's, that's where he has to go. And at the end where uh, Nori has decided to go with uh, the stranger, and she doesn't want to look behind her to wave goodbye to her people, or she's not going to want to leave. He says, well, you lead the way, and she doesn't know which way to go. And he says that, essentially, when in doubt, always follow your nose. And that is a line that Gandalf tells to Frodo, or one of the hobbits. But that's a line Gandalf uses in the Fellowship of the Ring when they're lost in the Mines of Moria. So this is essentially saying, uh, I'm guessing that this is a young version of Gandalf. He very much looks grubby and long stringy hair, kind of like Gandalf in Fellowship of the Ring. And when that scene happened, uh, when, when she said, when he tells her to lead and she says that she doesn't know which way to go, I'm like, oh, oh my God, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. And if he says it, that means he's him. And I'm getting all giddy. And my wife just keeps looking at me like, what? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, and then he says the line about always follow your nose. And I just, I'm teeing like a little schoolgirl. Even though this should piss me off. Because like I said, uh, Gandalf shouldn't be in Middle Earth at this time. Because the wizards haven't shown up here. It was still such a, a magical scene. And such a fun scene. And such a fun reveal. We've had to endure seven episodes prior to this. Where the stranger and Nori have done nothing. And then and you're just speculating. Well, is he Gandalf? Maybe, maybe he's Sauron. He's probably not Radagast. Maybe he's some other wizard we we don't know, and and he'll be gone by the end of this, and and he won't be a character that would show up in Lord of the Rings. There was so much speculation, and then to have it all kind of paid off in that way, where they don't say it, but they're implying that this is Gandalf. That it, to me, that was fun. That was fun TV, and I enjoyed watching that. Now the other huge reveal in this that uh, I did not see coming was. Halbrand, the big reveal at the end, because Halbrand has been coming across as this long lost king of the Southland, and Galadriel starts to have her doubts because of things he says, and then all of a sudden he is helping Celebrimbor figure out how to create the the three rings of the rings for the elves. And I'm like, oh my god, that's that's what Anatar did. And Anatar was a version of Sauron, and he helped Celebrimbor create, you know, figure out how to create the Rings of Power. And I'm like, oh my God, Halbrand is Anatar. Halbrand is Sauron. And then they had that big reveal with with Halbrand and Galadriel when she figures it out, and and he and and that's that is true to the source material because Anatar uh, never fooled Galadriel in the source material. She always knew something was up with him that he wasn't a good guy, and and Halbrand didn't fool Galadriel. I mean, she, he did maybe to begin with, but she saw through it very quickly, and she was the first to realize that that he wasn't who he was saying to he was and that there was something wrong about him and then once 
you look back on some of the things, uh, the the story with uh, Adar and the confrontation between Halbrand and Adar, it all really makes sense. And it was such a, a great reveal. And at, at first I was like, well, you know, I, I kept expecting to see this Anatar character show up and okay, uh, that's Sauron and this is where shit starts to get real. But they didn't do that. And I was like, well, why? But if they would have done that, then anybody who knows would have known that is who who Sauron is. And we spent this whole time, or at least I did, uh, you know, wondering what was up with Halbrand, but not really knowing with any certainty that he could even be or would even be uh, Sauron in disguise. Uh, so then once he starts helping Celebrimbor uh, create these rings, then that's kind of when it clicked. Oh my God, they're not doing Anatar. They did Halbrand, and that is Sauron. And and it was just it was a it was an interesting it was a good reveal. I thought for somebody that knows just enough about Tolkien, you know, I've read Lord of the Rings, I've read The Hobbit, I've read about uh, the Silmarillion and and some of the other uh, forgotten stories and stuff like that. For somebody that knows just enough about Tolkien and the history and the myths and the lore and the legend of Lord of the Rings beyond the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. I knew just enough to be dangerous and that kind of that that was a that was a pretty big reveal for me. A lot of things they they did uh, didn't surprise me. That kind of surprised me that they they made Halbrand the Sauron Anatar character. So I really dug that. I loved how they showed how Mordor is created. Um, you know they're they're showing the maps and it's it's kind of they go to the map cuts uh, cutaways really quick. So it's really hard to tell. Okay, where is this? You know things aren't called. In the second age of Middle Earth, things on the map, um, places on the map aren't called the same as they are in the third age of Middle Earth. At the beginning of episode eight, we find the stranger in this wooded area uh, that would be Mirkwood in the third age after Sauron kind of corrupts it. But it's it's called something different now. Uh, Mordor is the Southlands. But, you know, it's it's not something that, you know, I'm looking at the map and I'm trying to, to place what's where. But uh, but it was fun to watch the creation of Mordor and what it took. And once they open the floodgates and I'm like, oh. Oh God, that's why they're tunneling. They're sending all this water to this mountain that will become Mount Doom once it erupts. And then it gets the water gets down into the lava deep inside and creates steam and blows the top. And that's how Mount Doom is created. And the, the soot and the, the damage from that creates the wasteland that is Mordor. It's really interesting to see all that come to be. And that, that's one of the things I like about this is to be able to see, one, how Mordor was created. Two, we'll see how Gondor is created. We're probably going to see the creation of Imladris or, or Rivendell. Um, with with Elrond, I'm, I'm assuming. I think eventually, uh, maybe towards the end of this, we'll see uh, Galadriel and uh, Celeborn, who, I, I, like I said, I think is still really, I think he's alive still, and uh, he'll make a return. I think we'll see them create Lothlorien. And it's just, it's cool, I think, to watch all the all the places in Middle-earth that we know from, from the Lord of the Rings, see those th- places created and come into fruition i to me that's one of the things i like watching uh, the show for is is those aspects and those touches of the storytelling 
So like I said, I, I really, you know, for, for all of its sins and for all of its shortcomings, uh, it is really a fun show to watch, an interesting show. It, it keeps me engaged. I, I've never felt really bored watching this like I have uh, some of the early episodes of House of the Dragon um, or, or other fantasy shows, but this has kept me engaged enough that, that I've enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to season two. So uh, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I know, like I said, this is a very divisive show. People either hate it or they love it, or they're somewhere in the middle. I think I, I'm I'm leaning more towards loving it. Uh, I don't love it. it. It like I said, it does have its issues, but I'm leaning a little more towards that than I am right in the middle. I don't hate the show. Uh, I don't even dislike the show. I, I I've enjoyed this and I've enjoyed watching it, and hopefully you've enjoyed it too. Whether you love it and think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, or if you're like me that you're just you know it's it's good. I like it. I've enjoyed it. Um, hopefully, you at least enjoyed it. If you hate it, uh, you know, that's... that's uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you were expecting out of this. Uh, it was never going to be a direct word-for-word -word adaptation of Tolkien. It just wasn't going to be that. Lord of the Ring, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings wasn't that. It was very faithful. And as far as fantasy adaptations go, it was probably one of the most faithful and one of the most... Uh, close adaptations we have gotten or ever gotten of, of fantasy work, uh, especially Tolkien's. But but even that wasn't word for word. You know, do, do you remember all the people that bitched and moaned because Tom Bombadil wasn't in the GD Lord of the Rings? Uh, for me, the Tom Bombadil stuff was the most some of the most boring passages in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I didn't mind that they didn't include Tom Bombadil, uh, but some people are passionate about that. And sometimes you have to put your own personal passions aside and just enjoy things for what they are. Uh, you know, you got to keep your expectations managed and tempered. And I think if you do that with this, you'll enjoy it a little more than you think you do. So that's my thoughts on the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. I enjoyed it well enough. It was it was a it was a good show. It was a fun show to watch. Can't wait for the second season. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. And uh, we'll we'll keep you posted on when we find out any more about uh, season two coming up. And you can find all that out at our Facebook page, Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop on Facebook. Always posting trailers and passing along articles from all over the internet. Adding my two cents. And no matter where you listen to the podcast please leave a review five stars would be awesome as well as following uh subscribing downloading episodes share it with your family friends and neighbors who love horror fantasy and science fiction so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!